0: question is, how do you value that life experience? Because life experience is not valued, that ridiculous bit of paper in your CV, which says nothing about who you are. But that is how we are controlled, because we are completely controlled.
1: I'm Sonia Morton-Firth, and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton-Firth Show. Explorer, adventurer, entrepreneur, and TEDx speaker. Today, my guest is Anthony Willoughby.
0: I think there are three types of people on this planet. There are those who are selfish and admit it to themselves. There are those who admit it to themselves and try to deceive others. And the third kind actually genuinely deceive themselves.
1: Anthony, thank you so much for being a guest in my home. And ever since we met a few weeks ago now when I attended one of your events, I have been dying uh, to find out more about your life. But before we get into that, can you tell my audience, who you are, and in one sentence, describe yourself?
0: Curious. And at school, I was known as the missing link, which I now pride myself with, because I think one's always got to try to work out what is important in life. So I think it is curiosity, passion, and courage to follow on one's dreams. That would be my abbreviated... uh, thoughts.
1: I love that Anthony and you've had very much a life of adventure can you tell me where it all started what gave you that hunger? Uh, I think adventure? it
0: is zero acceptance within this country uh, and therefore I always had to leave uh, but basically I'm eighth generation expatriate so as soon as I sort of uh, i brought up in Africa in the Sudan in Egypt and then as soon as I actually went off to school, I, I never fitted in. I could never work out what on earth was uh, why I was there. So uh, fortunately, when I was 18, my housemaster took me aside. I said, Anthony, let's get one thing absolutely clear. You are far, far too stupid to go to university. Uh, but basically, I then went off to the States. And that's when I started hitchhiking. And I've hitched about 40,000 miles around the world. I've hitched across the States. I've hitchhiked by private airpo- aircraft. Uh, and I'm still hitchhiking. Um, and I love it, just being out on, the, out on the open road. A couple of years ago, I hitched some Mombasa Road and all sorts of other stuff. So I'm still hitchhiking. And that's really taught me the incredible importance of being positive.
1: That's amazing, hitchhiking across all those miles around the world. What, what were you feeling at that time when you were hitching around the Oh, freedom.
0: World? Freedom and trust. And what it is, and even when my kids, we uh, there was a family reunion in Calgary, so I said to my kids, this was about ten years ago, yeah, you come to the reunion, but you've got to hitchhike across from Toronto. So I insisted my two boys, they're about twenty-one, twenty-four, three at the time, so they actually hit, had to hitchhike, and I taught them to hitchhike. We hitchhiked once from. Uh, but in Bulgaria, we went skiing on a ski trip to Bulgaria and I said, there's good news, bad news. They said, what's the bad news? I said, there's no snow. They said, so what's the good news? I said, I'm going to teach you to hitchhike. Do you want to go to Istanbul or to <laughs> Athens? Because now I think hitchhiking is the most incredible philosophy for life.
1: Tell me about the philosophy. Is there no fear behind that as well?
0: No, because it's got to be both sides. So the, there's, the, in theory is the fear of both sides, but I've never had a bad experience. I've had one bloke put a clammy hand on my th- thigh once, so every time you hop in a car, you instantly go, "God, the women around here—they're so beautiful! Wow!" <laughs> you know, and that <laughs> it cuts it cuts off any any thoughts. But uh, no, I mean, basically, I hitched uh, in the first ten days of, of a hitch around uh, America. I sort of went from Massachusetts all the way around Alabama, off to Colorado Springs, got back to Washington DC, hitchhiked down to Florida. And that was all in literally 10 days. So I thought, this is getting far too easy. So someone was taking me down to the Keys. And uh, I said, drop me off here. I'll go and hitchhike across the... uh, uh, I'll go and see if I can get a ride to the Bahamas. Uh, And uh, I got three offers for rides to the Bahamas in a private plane.
1: And I guess part part of... um, Maybe part of the fear behind hitchhiking or even travelling would be, say, the lack of certainty...
0: I know, but that's the whole thing of life. And that's why I thoroughly enjoy COVID. I know I shouldn't say this. Oh, gosh.
1: Wow. (laughs) You mentioned the word. Go on. No, because
0: finally, structure, stability, security, certainty are proven to be delusions of an ill-informed, uneducated mind. So everybody's been building their life on a total misperception. And therefore, in the first 99.99% of human existence, We've had to adapt and we've had to know who we are. And it's only since civilization came along and they split power, wealth and status that we've made everybody completely lost as to what they're hunting, protecting and growing. And if you can make people unaware of who they are, then you can tax them because they're going to run out and want to buy baubles. And as soon as you can get people completely sort of uh, on baubles, then you can control them. I mean, what I love is uh, I've had a training center on the Great Wall of China But what you had there is you had north of it you had the Mongols and the nomads and basically they've got an expression the more you have the less you are. And just by that attitude you had a few hundred thousand or a few million Mongolians could terrify the Chinese for 5000 years to build 20,000 miles of walls because they didn't have the personal. Self-determination they were all caught up in what they owned and not who they were. And that's what I think we've got to really focus on now, is understanding who we are, what we are hunting, protecting, and growing in our lives.
1: I want to come back to that, but just before yeah. we do, yeah. you've mentioned China, you've mentioned America. Yeah. Can, we give, can you give me some of the highlights of your adventures around the world?
0: Yeah, I mean, basically I was born, say in Africa. I was educated in England and in the States for a year. And then when I was, I had a stall on the Bayswater Road selling bamboo hair slides for a couple of years. And then I had got just enough money to get a one-way ticket to Japan on the Trans-Siberian Express. So that was back in 1973. So I caught the Trans-Siberian Express and arrived in Japan by boat. And uh, I sort of liked it there. And I spent the next sort of 30 years living there. But from Japan, I started going off on different journeys. And on one of the journeys, I went on a camel safari in northern Kenya. And that's when I first saw the Maasai. And what I saw there, you had people who had substance without arrogance. And that's when I thought, my entire education is how can I be massively arrogant with minimum substance? And my school also only taught effortless insincerity. So I started to think, why on earth don't we get taught identity? Because they had identity, they had something that I thought, what is it? Why don't we have it? Why don't I have it? And that's when I went off to the Papua New Guinea Embassy in Tokyo met the ambassador, and I said, Sir, what is it you've got that we've lost? And he said, I haven't got a clue. Why don't you go off to my village in the highlands of Papua New Guinea? So I said, right, I'll go off to the highlands of Papua New Guinea. And I, they were all sort of running around with arse grass and huge axes and uh, <clears> all sorts of tribal wars were going on. And uh, I saw them with lots of feathers. So I said, so why do you have feathers? They said, well, a big man has many feathers, but a bigger man can hand out his feathers.
1: I like that. Can you repeat that? Yeah, a big man
0: has many feathers, a bigger man can hand out his feathers and therefore the entire status is on how you contribute to others because you have to earn the feathers, you can't take them. So I said, okay, what else is important? They said, well, the spear is very important. You can't buy it, you can't sell it, you can't give it away. You have to accept the responsibility that comes with the spear. So again, I thought of all the people in Tokyo I knew had director on their name card, but nobody would listen to them because they'd never earned it. So I started to see the link between what we'd lost, and then I said, what else is important? And they said, well, the shield is important, but that's not just your own protection. Mm. It's people who will protect you. So I started to see this balance. You've got to hand out your feathers. You've got to have a shield to protect others, and that's how you earn your position at the fire. When I got back to Tokyo, I said to the ambassador, I remember sort of thinking, because I went to the loo and I thought, I've got the question for him. What is the most important thing in your life? And what I thought he would say, my car, my house or something, he said, he "Looked at me, banged on the table and said, it is my territory. And he then drew a map. And on that map, uh, he drew uh, his entire world and his culture. And he could then explain why and every decision was made, these are our friends, these are our enemy, this is what we, how we call people. So I became fascinated by that because I thought, what is my territory? A couple of bars where women are friendly. Uh in Tokyo. So I thought, why? What is my mm. territory? And that's when I sort of started going off on my different journeys and expeditions, which included climbing a seven thousand metre mountain in western China. Without porters and oxygen, and I'd been across Papua New Guinea.
1: Without porters and oxygen? Yeah. So, so what was going through your mind at that stage, and how did uh, you get I was, get I was it? vaguely
0: hallucinating at the top. I mean, it, it's fairly high, so uh, yeah, sort of in, in the death zone, yes. but we weren't there for that long. But no, much to my amazement, I got to the top. But uh, i have been on this expedition across Papua New Guinea, because I thought of, I'd seen a book called Flight of Sepik River, so I thought I'd walk it, and the ambassador, we got to Pistons and, SP Breweries and he drew this line across the map and said, Follow this. I said, Yes, sir. So I saw there were villages, so I thought, Well, food is not going to be a problem, but wine might be. <laughs> so we turned up with 24 bottles of wine and no food. I love it, Anthony, just yes.
1: the sort of expedition Yay. I'd be wanting to go on.
0: But one bloke just complained every step of the way. And what I saw is a complainer completely destroys morale.
1: So tell me, let, let's go, because people do complain. We all complain. Yeah. We're all, especially as you say, in COVID times, we yeah. were complaining yeah. left, right, and centre. Yeah. Um, and I know I'm guilty of it. I, I wake up and I complain to myself sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But I catch myself yeah. and I try and reframe it and change well, the style. Well,
0: observations are fine. Understated observations are fine. So it's cold today, two of my toes have just turned black, that is an observation. Mm. But it's just this, because basically complainers are cowards. They will never confront you face on, they will always go round and try to undermine you.
1: So what was your biggest challenge on all these adventures?
0: Well I once got pissed trying to impress a woman and climbed out of a window in China and thought it'd be quite funny to come back through the other window (laughs) Fell and paralysed myself from the second story, so that was sort of quite an interesting experience.
1: And weren't you a bullfighter at some point? I was a
0: bullfighter. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically,
1: I don't think I've ever had a bullfighter here. Well, definitely I, I, they were
0: fairly small bulls, but they did knock me around a bit. And I did actually turn up a, a Duque de Pino Hermosos uh, a stand in uh, north of Madrid, and he let me loose on some small bulls. I mean, they had horns about that size, but even then, you can sort of get but. You know, doing the letter and, uh, and mucking around with balls, so I did, yeah. Uh, but I got knocked over a couple of times. Probably spend, I probably spent half an hour with balls or something like that. Uh, and I realised that I'm just not up to it. That
1: wasn't your thing.
0: Well, you no, know, I mean, uh, the degrees of stupidity. That,
1: uh... Anthony, it strikes me that you've, just in the, the brief moments that we've had, you've had certainly had a life less ordinary yeah. But there's something in that. What is your mindset and what have you really learned about yourself through all these adventures? I,
0: it's all around myself. I mean, everything is selfish. I mean, I think there are three types of people on this planet. There are those who are selfish and admit it to themselves. There are those who admit it to themselves and try to deceive others. And the third kind actually genuinely deceive themselves. So I think one has to realize that everything was God as a self-interest. So my book here in Search of Inspiration, if I can just sort of read the opening line. But, you know, I believe the greatest challenge and opportunity in my life so far has been the freedom of choice to shape my own destiny. And mine is probably the first generation since our ancestors left the cave to have many of those freedoms. And therefore, what I've tried to look at is my quest is to discover what I must understand about myself, human nature, and the laws of mother nature if I want my freedom of choice to supply me with the same sense of inspiration and fulfillment and identity. Clearly, money has been one of my liberators, but it alone has not been able to answer my questions. So that is everything I've always been doing is to try to look at really what maintains my peace of mind and that's was about 30 years ago I was going out with a girl called Sue now it's 40 years ago we married 30 years uh 40 years ago I was going out with a girl called Sue and Sue sort of I thought I was you know God's gift so I flew off to Singapore and sort of left her in Tokyo And I got to Singapore, and I wrote her a letter in those days, or called her, and said, "So come and join me. She said, bugger off. So what I suddenly, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink, I couldn't sleep. I I was absolutely useless. So I thought, what is it? I've got my freedom, but I haven't got anything left. So what I did is I came up with my peace of mind chart. On my peace of mind chart, which I can sort of show here, I started to look at... Missing Sue, desire to fly to Tokyo, feeling of acceptance, sense of belonging, desire to go skydiving. And what I started to realize was if I played a good game of rugby or went skydiving, my desire to marry Sue dropped dramatically. Basically, I then had belonging and recognition, and I then trusted myself. And what I realized is that if I was in that state of mind, my needs and wants completely changed. So therefore, your sense of belonging and recognition leads to you, your needs and wants are completely controlled by your sense of belonging and recognition.
1: Now, I spend a lot of time talking to veterans, and I, yeah. I have a lot of yeah. veterans on my show. And what I found talking to them is when they come out of the military, yeah. they suffer, not all of them, yeah. but a lot of them suffer because of they've lost that sense of belonging. Correct. They've lost that sense of community and camaraderie with, the, you know, the, Correct. the, the rest of, of that. Their...
0: Totally, because they've got, they've got no identity, and that's the whole problem. And, and that's the whole thing. The question is, what are you going to be doing tomorrow? And that's why I love the Maasai and the other tribes I've stayed, with is this transition. Because if you're with the Maasai, the values of respect, responsibility, and courage are consistent through your life. But your authority, responsibility, and accountability changes. So you move from being the warrior when you've got to protect the cattle to becoming the elder, where you're given the stick of wisdom. Because therefore your responsibility changes. And they have a phenomenal five-day ceremony or even longer to tell people how their authority has changed. And therefore, but they've got the community to contribute to because they've always got the values of the community. But when you left corporate life or you leave the army, there's no, your responsibility is completely changed. And therefore, so is your identity, because it doesn't exist. It
1: doesn't exist.
0: And that's why I want to train people to think about their peace of mind, which is what are they hunting, protecting, and growing in their life? Because if you know that, then you've got that consistent.
1: So let, let's translate this, Anthony, because the, playing devil's advocate, yeah. um, this sounds amazing, um, and, and, and having a life ad- adventure going around um, the planet yeah. living with different uh, in different indigenous cultures. I'm sure a lot of people would love that, but they may be sitting here or listening to this and thinking, well, that's all very well and good, but we need money to survive. Yeah. So how are we going to do all these wonderful things yeah. if we don't have money?
0: So I think it's more around the values that you've got in your own life. You do not have to go traveling around the world. You do not have to go and stay in five star hotels. You just have to be nice to the person next door. Because I think it's it's how one leads one's life on a daily basis that is one's sense of satisfaction. It's not where you've been. I've just been very, very lucky to have different lessons. But, I, you know, talk to the vets. They've got far more life experience than I have. The question is, how do you value that life experience? Because life experience is not value. That ridiculous bit of paper in your CV, which says nothing about who you are, but that is how we are controlled because we are completely controlled.
1: Well well, well I think that's what it comes down to. We, we 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 are controlled, our minds are controlled and that starts very early on in life with our education yeah. system uh-huh. and then and then we become well. I think we're slave to our parents, whatever their wishes are. Yeah. And then we become slaves to the education system. And nine times out of ten, maybe eight times out of ten, now you go to a corporate and you become slaves of the corporation. You are,
0: but you're—it's it's total enslavement. I mean, I've, I've looked. Each household in England has basically got sixty-three thousand quid of debt. The debt in this country is one point three trillion. So that is simply slaving, enslavement, and you know. But I think for sort of happiness, I mean, uh, one thing I think I I mentioned earlier, but my father, you know, when I asked him, so how should I educate my children? He simply said, make sure they play sports at which they can get seriously hurt. But his other sort of thing in life was a little danger keeps you up to scratch.
1: I love that. A little danger keeps you up to scratch.
0: And he he sort of described his, uh, he was a soldier on the northwest frontier in India in the 30s. And he said, you know, just enough officers were getting killed to make soldiering interesting. And again, going back to COVID, I think just enough people are dying to make living pretty interesting.
1: Wow, that is quite a statement. I, I, I love it, actually. You know what? You it's know, a bold statement. But it's, 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 it's true because it's all good. made us question our mortality. It certainly made me question my yeah. mortality and what i want to do with the rest of my life what makes yeah. me happy and i think one thing that did teach us was materialistic things mean nothing if you haven't got the connection with your loved ones your yeah. closeness to to people and having your freedom going out the house. correct and then
0: you see what's going on in uh in uh, you know the ukraine and you've got the leader there who's on the streets leading people with courage and everybody looks at it but it's using those ancient words that we've got to, this is what we're protecting our identity and our dignity. And these are the things that nobody can take away. So it's one's invisible wealth that I believe is far more important.
1: So, how does all this translate into your nomadic school of business? Tell me a little about that.
0: Having climbed the 7,000 meter mountain, this is back in 86, well, I thought I'd open the first outdoor team building center in Japan. And then we opened on the Great Wall of China. And people come along, they would do all sorts of exercises, outdoor activities. And they go, wow, we're an amazing team. But where do I belong? Where am I recognized? And I thought every time I've been with a tribe, they've got absolute clarity of who they are. So I started think, what has a tribe got that the corporate hasn't got? And what I came up with, the idea was maybe it's territory. So I thought, maybe, actually, it's not around the trust. What's more important is knowing your territory. So for the last 20 years, I've asked thousands of people to draw maps of how they see their corporate territory. And what I realized is then, because basically everyone's a different map. So in a corporation, there's absolutely no context to any conversation, because everybody sees a different river and a different mountain and a completely different perspective. So the map gets a common language. But what I realized is giving people the map Uh, It it helps with the conversation and create interest. But everybody's got a different sort of meaning for the icon. And that's why now what I've really done is to simplify stuff down to really 10 icons uh, with the nomadic school of business. Now, these are relevant to, to the nomads of Mongolia, where I spend a lot of time, or with the nomads of East Africa. It's exactly the same thing. It's what are you hunting, what are you protecting, and what are you growing?
1: So you're translating this into the Western world. I'm trying
0: yeah, exactly. And I, but you know, you've got Darwin saying, you know, it's not so it's not survival of the fittest, it's actually survival of the most adaptable. I actually believe it is the species that can balance hunting, protecting, and growing. We've got to go back to when our brains last rewired. And that's about thirty-five thousand years ago. When we started hunting mammoths and we could start working in smaller groups, we could have Uh, build shelters out of the skins because we knew how to work together. And I think that's about the capability of our brain. I mean, I've been reading it and you've got Nigel Nicholson, you know, who says you can take the caveman out, you can take the man out of the cave, but you can't take the caveman out of the man. And I think this is just so true. And that's why I think we've got to simplify stuff. And what I've discovered, which I'm most fascinated by, is everybody can talk about the rivers, mountains, and swamps. So what I've done is I've looked at all of the icons that people have drawn over the years, and that's how I've simplified them down.
1: So you're taking us back all of those years. What legacy do you want to leave behind, Anthony?
0: Uh, Well, basically, when I set up I Will Not Complain, I wanted to... uh, I believe that the currency of the future will be trust and willpower. So that is still my legacy. If we can give people to trust themselves, trust others, and trust Mother Nature... And to have the courage and determination to do something of contribution.
1: Contribu- I think love that. Because the whole
0: thing is, I mean, the whole thing is, how do you earn your respect around the fire?
1: And yet today we still see people earning their respect by showing off their materialism and, and, and
0: go for it. But I mean, it, but it doesn't really, you know. The question is, you know, what what are they actually contributing around the fire? Who do they have around the fire? Well, they have lots of other people who are just like them. Uh, so they listen to people who've got the same ideas. But I think there's a gradual, gradual shift. And that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to trying to get across. Uh, of how do you create that shift? But it's not from it's not me telling anybody anything. I simply give people a blank sheet of paper and say, please imagine you're a Stone Age man or woman. What are you hunting on that map? Where do you see your rivers? And people will start drawing. And it's absolutely fascinating.
1: Anthony, we could talk all day, but I think we're, we've just right. about run out of time. So
0: well, thank you very much. just
1: on my last question, though, yeah. uh, and I think you've sort of answered yeah. it, that if you were to meet your younger self again, yeah. what piece of advice would you give to him, knowing what you know now?
0: Keep pushing those doors that are slightly ajar. And if I can just give a tiny bit of background, it's when I was at school, and I went to see Hair, which was a yes, show in London the with the first naked naked women and all the rest. And I had my Spotmatic with me, my camera. And I went backstage to the stage door and it was slightly ajar. And I sort of pushed it open a tiny bit and looked around, thinking they'd told me to go away. They said, no, come on in. And they, I came in. So, I mean, literally Elaine Page still was, uh, got using my photographs. Uh, on her on her website of her early days, so I became the unofficial hair photographer,
1: just A- by pushing just that by pushing door the door, and that's over. the
0: same philosophy of hitchhiking. And I think the thing is, we've just got to push all the different doors open. Uh, that's what I do. I, I don't know what I would have done differently. I mean, I certainly would have done financial things differently but then I don't think I'd have done what I've done. So uh, what is that balance? And
1: And uh, you've done a tremendous amount, Anthony. You really have. I've really enjoyed this interview. Thank thank you so much. Oh, (laughs) forgive
0: me talking so much.
1: (laughs) No, no, come again, come for tea again. Thank you. Thank you for being guest on my show, Anthony. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox.